Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Started this series, little mini series called Friends and Family. Partly because uh, Elizabeth Achilles, uh, many of you know, a leader in our community, had this heart to create a marriage moment, a marriage summit, for us to um, pay attention to a lot of the brokenness that was happening in many of the marriages in our church. And the other reason why, and these two things came side by side at the same time, one of those providential moments was a lot of single folks were just sort of waving their hands like, hey, <laughs> hey, how do I do this? How do I do this, this single thing right now? It's complicated. I didn't have it in me or feel compelled, and there'll be times for this and seasons and some breakouts and some other stuff that we're planning for the rest of the year to just dive into little bits of wisdom and nuggets and, like, thoughts about, like, best practices, though all that stuff is so beautiful and important. Um, I had this sense that there was this sort of, like, sub-theme to this friends and family series, which was simply there is more. It was this idea of, like, if we don't have a hunger and zeal for the Lord— like, just so much of, like, chasing after these, like, lifestyle adjustments. It just all goes wrong, and I've seen it. I've, I told somebody the other day that, like, you know, for all the good intentions of the focus on the family and these, like, if you grew up in the church, if you didn't grow up in the church, you have no idea what I'm talking about now, but, like, all of these, all of these, like, family, like, um, very moralistic Bible studies that came out for kids. It's like, I, I was telling somebody, I pastor a church where I honor that, and I'm sure for so many people that was helpful, but I, I just pastor a church where none of that seemed to resonate, where people got a lot of like general moral teachings with Bible study thrown onto it, and they didn't have an altar of prayer and worship built in the home, and they, they didn't have um, a zeal for the Lord. Some of you who come from the South, not to pick on the South, but you know, I like to pick on the South. This can happen anywhere, right? Western Rhode Island can be guilty of this same sort of thing. (laughs) No, this isn't a cultural thing. Here's what I mean by this. You like, you had a greater temptation to just attach Jesus to a general moral lifestyle with moral principles. You had it harder than I did in post-Christian Rhode Island. You had it harder you had it harder because nobody in, in, at church on a Sunday morning, especially in the last 10 years, has any cultural pressure to be here. I say this all the time, guys, but Julian's brunch, Nick's brunch, Bayberry's brunch are solid. I would, should have every reason to go there instead of here. There's no pressure. Where other parts of the country and nation, there's pressure. This is what we do. This is how we live. And Jesus just becomes like the bumper sticker on our car not the fire in our bones. And so talking about marriage and singleness, I'm like, cool. If you don't believe that there is like infinite depth, that there is more to your spouse, I don't know like how much some helpful like just tidbits of wisdom are really gonna move you 
But then all that wisdom literature and all those books and all that good thinking and all that counseling will actually catch fire if you believe that there is infinite depth to the Lord and you have been put in with this person and you have become married to this person and that for, by hell and high water, God will stir in you a deep hunger for them and a deeper understanding of that they were made in the image of God and they are worried of love, uh, worthy of love and affection and it will stir your heart to move towards them. I think in the same way as what we talked about last week, which is why I think partly this altar was full, not just of marriage folks coming to pray, but folks who had a reigniting of a zealousness for the Lord. You following with me? I'm not sure I'm following me, but. There's more. Regardless of your station, married or single, we can just fall prey to the same trap of apathy that befalls so many who aren't followers of Jesus. Paul says, I consider everything nothing, rubbish, garbage, scubalon. Many scholars think that was literally the S-bomb he just dropped. I consider it all that compared to like the like unbelievable worth, the riches of knowing God. This is eternal life, that you would know God is what the scriptures say. This this welling up of a passion to just know him, to know more of him, and allow that to stir in our bones, to trust him with the greatest sin you've committed and the greatest apathy and despondency you might have in your bones, to trust him with that, that he might care for you and bring you along into deeper love and beauty and goodness. It's interesting, marriage and singleness, both are things that reflect heaven. They give us a glimpse and they give us a picture of what heaven is like. We talked about marriage last week. Marriage is this oneness in the same way God is one, we in some way can become one with our spouse. It shows the world with a bunch of broken covenants and so much ache and brokenness around it, what oneness can look like. It's a glimpse of the union of God and Christ with the earth. It's hard to understand and believe this. If you're new to church, man, just, you, we're jumping right into the deep end. Welcome. But this is the imagery that's used in these ancient scriptures. And as I often say, just to those that might be new or unfamiliar with some biblical language, I would humbly submit it is the cry of every single heart in here, no matter how much you think this God and Jesus stuff is BS. You want every tear wiped away. You want justice. We're sitting here at Black History Month. We remember as a nation just how evil and broken the roots of our very nation are. That is rooted, rooted in an acknowledgement of the ache and pain of our world. And as followers of Jesus, we want to be so filled with such earthly good for our neighbors and brothers and sisters that we keep our eyes on heaven when everything will be made new. We keep looking at that because we know God's going to heal everyone and everything. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that we can live into that reality now because Jesus says he has come 
to announce that the kingdom of God is here to reveal to us that we can begin to live the life of heaven now, that we can join him in this great renewal of all things. And so marriage and singleness, marriage reflects this beautiful union of God and his people. Singleness, though, in the Bible is the default state of everybody. I'm kind of bummed about this because I cannot imagine life without my bride. But apparently it's going to be even better. I don't know how that happens, Corey. Some of you are like, oh, I know how it could be better. <laughs> Elizabeth, you can call her up. Um, <laughs> right, we, um, in the scriptures, Jesus speaks really clearly of this. A few passages for your consideration this morning. Jesus says in Matthew, for some, this is in a passage about divorce. He's like, divorce, don't do it. It's really bad. Don't do it. Last resort, calls back to the law of Moses, right? Very few conditions for this. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. There's more. There's more healing than you think. And the disciples are like, whoa, so if there's no option for divorce, shouldn't we just not get married? That's literally the disciples' move. To which some folks are like, man. Again, counseling in the back. For some are eunuchs because they were born this way. Others have been made eunuchs and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. There are people who just choose not to get married. The one who can accept this should accept this. According to Jesus, some people are so devoted to God that they, they, they choose to not get married or maybe even need to get married or that's not an option for them. In some way, maybe they have transcended the marriage state, <laughs> moving past it in place of union with God. Jesus states this just so matter-of-factly as if it's the most normal thing imaginable. According to Jesus, there's being married and then there's something else. In the book of Luke, Jesus says, the people of this age marry and are given a marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So in the first text, Jesus claims to have some, like, some have just renounced it for deeper allegiance and connection with God. And then in the second one, he says that this will be true of all people in the, quote, age to come, which is a way, a Jewish way of saying heaven. Marriage and singleness are a vision of this longing that we have, this more of heaven, that we can be more aligned with God. This is eternal life that we would know God. And apparently that eternal life that in some mysterious way, when all die and Jesus comes and renews all things, we'll be with him. And experiencing that now, we can look around and go, married folks, that's a glimpse of heaven. Sex, that's a glimpse of heaven. Singleness, that's actually our default posture in heaven. We're going to get into like, don't waste your singleness in a minute. But before I get into any of that, it's so important to root this in. Your very singleness is a picture of eternity. Jesus, remember, goes to weddings celebrates marriages. All sorts of acknowledgement, marriages are good. But there is this underlying word that sits under marriage, which is temporary. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, I wish that all you were as I am. That's what I say to my wife all the time. <laughs> Levity and joy. Paul wasn't married Right? So he's telling his audience that he wishes they were unmarried as he was. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. 
Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. There's sweatshirts in the back, by the way, that have that line across it. We're selling them. Better to marry than to burn. (laughs) Paul continues. Now about virgins, I've now... (laughs) Welcome to church. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, a lot of context here, I don't have time to get into, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, and if you've not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So by the way, just really helpful to know, if you're married, you haven't sinned. And all the married folks said, but But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. No amens, good. I don't want to spare you this. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Now he can please the Lord. A married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. Now he can please his wife and his interests are divided. A woman is bound to her husband as long as, she, as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he, must, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. I include these last couple of texts for a reason. Paul doesn't seem concerned about whether a person is married or not. Basically, we read the scriptures and there's no clear message from God about whether you should be or shouldn't be. Again, marriage is sacred and to be protected at all costs and divorce grieves the heart of God for so many reasons. But in so many ways, it is temporary and about something more. It's about something bigger and more. And so for the single person in our church, If you've been sent any messages directly or indirectly that your single season is just temporary space, like somehow, like, I I hope you've never picked this up at Sanctuary, but this stuff comes out sometimes. Like, you felt like a second-class citizen in any sort of way. Like, I'm so sorry, and that's not true. It's not not true. It's not just that you're fine being single. The premise of the Scripture is that you're able to connect with God and serve God in ways that those who are married can't. The bent is toward you in singleness, not away from you. They both point towards something, and that something, by the way, is in the book of Revelation, like I just mentioned. New heaven and a new earth. The holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The symbols of heaven, again, revolve around marriage, sexuality, relationships. As I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. This is what they're experiencing, right, in Kentucky. Like a deep, um, like a richer understanding of just how close the Lord is. And the Lord coming in power. God present everywhere, but coming in might and glory and beauty and manifest presence in a spot. So what would it be like? We read that this city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Light is one of the prevailing images of heaven. Stay with me if you're like, where is he going? Light exposes everything. There's no hiding in light. Light is freedom. So why wouldn't that be another image attached to heaven? Is, Is there's nothing to fear because everything is shown to be exactly what it is. In the light, everybody is fully known. 
which, by the way, I think is like the central craving of sex, which is why the cheapening of sex in our culture is so disturbing and sad to me. The Christian view of sex, man, isn't like restrictive and puritanical and backwards. No, it actually believes it counts for something and is sacred. And the real funny thing is all the new literature, especially out of feminism, is going the sexual revolution sold women a lie. This idea of like unique and free liberation just as men and the patriarchy have practiced for years. Fascinating how you are seeing all of a sudden a slow shift away because we're realizing that the gifts and apparently the freedom of the sexual revolution is, aren't working. The Christian vision of, of sex is, is to look at something and hold it so sacred. It's to be fully loved and embraced and accepted. It, we read this, nothing in that city of heaven that comes down will be impure or will ever enter it. Isn't that what sex is supposed to be? All right, when it's free from power and coercion and manipulation, when sex is free from agenda and sex is free from fear, when it's simply two people giving all of themselves to each other, holding nothing back. And if we keep going, we read that there is a tree of life in this city and that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Anyone know Connor Oberst? St. Connor? Praying for that boy. In a band called Bright Eyes, he has this line. I, I should have asked ahead of time. I'm sorry. I just saw two kids walk out. If your kids are here, I asked my own daughter to go just because it's an adult conversation. So I apologize. I don't think there's any more. Here's the line. All right. Well, Silas, Noah, you can figure this one out. <laughs> we made love on the living room floor with the noise and the background of a televised war. And in that deafening pleasure, I thought I heard someone say, if we walk away, they'll walk away. We made love on the living room floor and the noise in the background of a televised war. And in that deafening pleasure, I thought I heard someone say, if we walk away, they'll walk away. They captured in this very broken, not follower of Jesus, poet and songwriter, acknowledging there was some connection between the televised war and the love that was being made here. This is the dream and the longing, even people who don't have any theological language, of what union and relationship and connection are supposed to be about. The healing of the nations is the dream of the vision of heaven. Everyone getting along, no war, no conflict, lion laying down with the lamb. Isn't that the dream of any relationship? Isn't that why people continue to step into relationships even when they've been hurt? Because we still find new ways to hope that we'll get along with people. All of this is connected. We can keep going. No longer will there be any curse. The curse is a reference to the entrance of death into the human story in the Garden of Eden. The curse is everywhere we look. Even the best possible relationships have an ache to them because someday, inevitably, one person is going to stand over the casket of another. It all ends there. For many people, then, these deep moments of connection, sex, are brief moments when everything's okay with the world. And so then in Revelation, God announces, I'm making everything new. Isn't that the longing of every embrace and every act of love 
Every act of service to the poor and the hurting that is rooted in love is like, I just want everything to be made new. Some of you are praying that over your relationships and friendships right now. So why on earth am I getting half the room really excited about sex and a talk that's meant for singleness? Some of you are like, this is not the sermon I wanted. If marriage, if sex has a purpose that in some holy place and way is to bring hope to the world, what happens when the world doesn't need hope anymore? What happens to marriage when every hope is fulfilled? What happens to marriage when when heaven comes? If this is all about connection, what happens when everybody is connected with everybody else? What happens when everything we need from each other we actually have in God? What happens in the presence of God when we are everything that we were originally created to be? If marriage is meant to show people what oneness is like, what happens when everybody is one in the presence of God? Well, what happens is, is just look to your single brothers and sisters, that. That. I remember hearing a a children's sermon years ago. I brought all the kids forward, and this pastor literally held up a picture of a husband and a wife and two kids and prayed that all the kids would find the one that God had for them. This sounds really nice, like Sarah being down here and like, guys, let's pray right now for your future spouse. What's wrong with this? Anybody? It's terrible. Like terrible, unbiblical, wretched theology. It's really bad, it feels good. And there's nothing wrong like praying for a future spouse. But in that context, my goodness. And so first, to my single sisters and brothers, don't push past this one. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully man, yes, fully God, fully man, was single the high priest who can sympathize in every way like we can. The greatest man who ever lived chose to not marry and was a fully functioning, deeply happy, joy-filled human being. The archetype, if you are to believe it, of all humanity proves that you don't have to be married to be fulfilled. I think we can argue that our primary vocation is to pursue Jesus as our lover with the least single-mindedness and least distractions no matter what. So imagine you're having coffee with Jesus. Hey, Jesus. How's it going? Ah, It's going pretty well. I am Lord of all. It's going all right. Look, I'm single. I've got a problem with you about my singleness, whatever that is. My sense is that Jesus' response would be, I want you to hear me. I want to use this. If you can, accept this. Trust me that there is more blessing than you can possibly fathom. Not everyone can accept this word. There are eunuchs who were born this way, and there are eunuchs who have been made that by others, and there are also those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. The one who can accept or receive this should. 
if you can accept this, trust me that there is more for you, more fruit. What does Jesus want to see happen? I want to end with a couple things. I think what's released in singleness that's not, is not being able to release in the same way of, as marriage. There's some things that get released. The Greek word here is, again, accept or receive. And it's this idea of making room for something. Jesus, when he is instructing them about the nature of singleness, coming off discourse about divorce, when they're like, isn't it just better to be single? He goes, I want you to make room for this word. So I'm going to keep coming back to this for this last bit of time. If you have been tuning out the whole time. If you can accept this, if you can make room for this, if you can receive this, receive this. First, there is uniqueness in this season as a single person to have deep devotion to God himself. We have to learn to get our primary relationship with God right before we can flourish in any relationship. God wants to bring you deeper into his heart. Have you ever thought God just wants you for himself? Have you ever considered it, at least considered it? That's one of those scary prayers, I know. That he just wants you for himself. He wants some time from you just to deepen your intimacy and relationship with him. Look, when we bring God's, God-sized needs to other human beings, we crush them. When we bring God-sized needs to God, he handles them. This is true for anybody, marriage or not. The word devotion here in Greek is this idea of the good word, um, the, sorry, is the word good or well and the phrase close beside. It's like this passive element of sitting and listening to God and also an active element of tending to him. It's basically this idea in the English of being attentive. When you are in a single season, you have greater capacity to be attentive to God. God is not interested in you having an extended adolescence. Singleness is not just some time to pursue your career and ambition where you just push off being married and having kids for a little while so you can get ahead. And it's not just a preparatory phase, getting yourself together one day so you can get married. God has ordained a unique stage of singleness so you, without any distraction, can devote yourself to him. Maybe he just wants you for himself. Do you know, all of us, that Jesus is like jealous for your attention? Take just two seconds. Like, close your eyes for a minute. Like, imagine that. Try to trust it for a minute. Just try. Close your eyes for a minute. He's jealous for your attention. He's jealous for your attention. He just wants a bit more. Because he knows he's what's best for you. Because he knows full well he is Lord of all. He cares about you. And so God has this vision of singleness where, where we can just grow in our intimacy and love for him. Just ask yourself, do you see the beauty and worth of Jesus? Have you ever explored in your friendships and relationships like how God might want to use your singleness? 
just really practically, if you ever had a question about theology, like, you're, like you just want to know and devote like, to mastering and learning something more, if you ever had a big philosophical question or discipleship question, you want to understand your spiritual gifts more, just devote yourself to it. Why not make the goal of your life attending to the presence of God? Because for those of you who then do get married, oh my gosh, the gold that you're carrying into your marriage. Amen? Jesus says there's a special reward for those who enter into relationships but choose, who could enter relationships but choose not to. The secrets of his heart will be shared with them. So Jesus says if you can live like a eunuch, you should because he wants to, he wants to devote himself to you and he wants your devotion back. Two, my encouragement to you. You have ability in many ways due to your circumstances and agility to make an unbelievable difference in the world. I have single friends who work close to 90 hours a week. I'm not making an assumption when I'm saying this, that when you get married, particularly when you have children, my friend John says, whatever pockets of margin you have just disappear into a black hole of obligation. Can I get an amen from parents? Whatever pockets or margin you have, just disappear into a black hole of obligation. It's true. What you have, single folks, right now is freedom. Freedom to move at will, many of you, most of you, and time to respond. And those will diminish over time as obligation encroaches in your life. But particularly when you're young and single, you have more time than any other kind of person on the planet. Children don't have the freedom you have. The elderly don't have the freedom because they're often, uh, yeah, they just don't have the resources or the energy. Married people don't because they have a concern for their spouse. You have an unprecedented amount of discretionary time. Philip Zimbardi, who's written a lot of stuff on the role of men in society, he says that the average person, by the time they're 21, any 21-year-olds in the world, room? 20, 21-year-olds? 19? 18. Will you raise your hand really quick? Three, four. There you go. You're back there. Any um, 18 to 23-year-old men in the room? Okay, ready? You know I like this one. The average, uh, by the time they turn 21, the average male has spent about 10,000 hours playing video games. 10,000 hours. You guys know the rule, right? The 10,000 hour rule, you can become world class in anything with that amount of time. <laughs> and you're more aware of the brokenness in history than any generation before it because of social media, because of the internet. The world's on fire, the world is broken, and you know about every single way it is just from one glance at your phone. We have war and slavery and injustice and crippling poverty, and we need some of you to rise up with the compassion of Jesus in your heart and put the freaking video games away. Find your place in the body of Christ and hold your hands against the wounds of the world. The world waits for you. Everyone talks <laughs> in like young millennial or like Gen Z is probably already over this, but right, like the fear of missing out is like the marker apparently of a generation. It comes up all the time. Basically written by probably Gen Xers who don't know anything anymore, but fear of missing out. The real fear, right, should not be the fear of missing out. The real fear, if you're single, should be the fear of squandering opportunities. 
the fear of missing out on a season, I plead with you, don't waste your energy and your vision and your passion on trivialities. You don't have to be older. The Bible says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. You don't have to have more money. Lean in. You don't have to have a spouse to do something significant in this world, especially the church. In fact, it's flipped. It's a bit easier for you. Most of you guys will probably marry. Although we need some more solid single men in this room, amen? All the women said, all the women said, come on. You guys all come and sit and talk with me and you're like, where are the guys? Like, I know you're out there. More conversations like that with the single folks in our church. Most of you will probably marry, marry or a good chunk of you. You're going to look back on this season and you're going to hate that you wasted your 20s on Instagram. Like, you're going to hate that you wasted most of your money and energy on travel adventures. No shame on travel adventures. But right, that becomes a lifestyle obsession. Do you have a vision for your life? Are you serious about a cause? Are you serious about, like, can you answer the question, what breaks your heart? If I walked down and just started interviewing folks and said, hey, what breaks your heart? What moves you? Do you have an answer? No shame. If not, go get it. Open the scriptures and go, oh my gosh. I get to join with God in the renewal of all things. He cares so much for me and my heart and my vision and my calling and wants me to come in line with that so that I can serve him. Oh my gosh. Show me a better vision for your life. And then begin to seek him for the details. The intersection of your gifts and where the world's greatest pain is right there is where many of us find our calling. Maybe not your job, but you will find your calling. You have no idea how God will, like, will arrange history around people who have his heart and are willing to respond to his needs. Now I'm so far over time. Number three, God wants us to live distraction-free. I'll save this one like really quickly because we talk about this a lot. 1 Corinthians 7, I would like you to be free from concern. Be unconcerned with anything else but the Lord's affair, Paul says. Undivided devotion to the Lord. To keep you free from destruction and alert to what he has. If you have no idea, like you have no idea what you could be missing out on in terms of what the Spirit is wanting to do. Right? Too often... Like, we just, like, Wednesday, you're, like, scrolling, 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 for, like, all right, there it is. Oh, lucky number 40. He looks cute. I don't even know how this works, by the way. I haven't never used a dating app. I'm just assuming here. Right? You click the button, and then it sends the notice, and then you get an email if they confirm. Something like that. You get a notice. You get some kind of, dang, I'm old. <laughs> you get some kind of notification that somebody else confirmed, right? That's how that works. I know that. So you're waiting. You're like, I like you. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you walk into church on Sunday morning and you're like, bless the Lord. Keep my eyes up. Keep my eyes up. Keep, did they confirm yet? Did they keep my eyes up? Ooh, they did. Oh, right. I don't know how quickly you find out like, oh, they're a Christian. Obviously they're a Christian. Different sermon. And they're like, oh, they go to sanctuary. Oh, but Andrew's talking about like sexual brokenness. So like when I come up to the front, should I like 
not, not, I don't want to signal to them if they're in the room that maybe I am sexually broken. So you pretend you're like part of the prayer team and you're laying on hands on other people. Or you're like, are they like Bethel? Or do I go like this in worship? Or am I more like quiet, open-handed? I don't know what goes through your head. The point is, is when all you're doing is looking, some of you need to break that off because you're distracted. God has stuff for you now, and all you're thinking about is some Disneyfication of love that was never sold to you by God, but by something very broken from the world. So everything in your life is about, I got to find a man, got to find a man, got to find a woman, got to find a woman, got to find a man, got to find a man. And it's just like low grade, be in constant prayer, unceasing prayer. Some of you are like unceasing bumble or whatever the thing is now. There's more. There's more in your season of singleness. There's more. Get your eyes up. Being sensitive to what you want to do with me. Unstall the app. Going into worship where you're actually free to go, God, what do you have for me this week? In the sermon, you're not thinking about what you're going to do with like whatever else. You're going, God, will you use me? Speak to my heart. If you get the scanning mentality off and you just focus on devotion, focus on devotion to be amazed at what God can do. This is not just a word for single folks, amen? Get your eyes up. Jesus is like, look, if you can receive this, I just want you to devote yourself to my heart. If you can see this, I want to use you to make a difference in the world. And lastly, I... In this season of singleness, God, God wants you to like come to know you. <laughs> a lot of people walk around with a very fragile identity of who they are. A very shallow sense of themselves. They never quite like self-actualized. So much image man management to make themselves seem attracted to this group or this person. So much work on their vocation or their job to be the kind of person that can move forward in a particular career field, but they don't actually know who they are. And Jesus offers in this season of singleness a way of exploring a deeper awareness of who you are. Kierkegaard says, with God's help, I shall know myself. With God's help, I'm actually going to get to the bottom of who this mess and beauty of a man is. And that doesn't stop when you get and if you get married, but my goodness, there is something about that season. In our culture, we say, with my partner's help, I will become the person they want so I don't lose them. With culture's help, I'll collapse inward on myself through selfishness. But no, no, with God's help, you will become more yourself. <sighs> 20 more pages. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. I want to pray blessing right now over my single sisters and brothers. who are sitting here going, Andrew, that's nice. I just want to hear all this stuff about the goodness of singleness while I'm holding someone's hand. <laughs> Come on, everybody in this room knows what loneliness feels like, amen? Everybody knows what loneliness feels like, amen? 
If you don't, you haven't been paying attention. <laughs> and so I just, we, we're going to open the altar in a moment. But I just want to pray right now that a spirit of loneliness would lift as you, Lord, give singles in our community a revelation of your love, of your presence, a revelation of your goodness in their life that you would inspire and open their eyes in a new way to the season that they find themselves in. That you would break the chains of distraction, the things that like grab our attention and we would turn our eyes back to you. Attention on you, Lord, we know leads to just deeper love and adoration of you. And so we ask you for more of that. Two, Holy Spirit, I'm enumerating my prayer to you, God. I just pray right now that this place would be family. Like this has got to be family, guys. And so I pray specifically over those that have... Um, have a home, who have children, that you, Lord, would help them make sense of creating bandwidth to provide a family, Lord, for those in our community who are in desperate need of running around with the kids and experiencing life together. That this place would actually operate as a family. That hospitality, radical hospitality would sweep through our church. You would open our, not just our doors, but open our hearts, Lord, to each other. None of this divide between like those with kids and those without kids. None of this divide between marrieds and singles. None of this divide, Lord, between Lord, those that are widows and divorced and hurting, Lord. Like let us be one as you are one. Bind us together in unity, Lord. Increase our love for one another because there's more. There are deeper riches of family yet to be experienced in this church. There are deeper, Lord, deeper, deeper wells, Lord, to drink from when you are King and Lord over all. 